Hey there, welcome to another conversation here at the Intermodal Summit. I'm Andrew Cox, a senior retail analyst here at Freight Waves. And the next few minutes are focused on warehousing. This is a tight market right now. We've got the vacancy rate, according to Cushman and Wakefield, at the lowest point that it's been in in many decades at just 5.4%. Uh, capacity is very difficult to source. And we're seeing a lot of things going on with the way that ocean carriers are operating near the ports. That's causing even more difficulty and more challenges for warehouse operators inland. So to discuss all the challenges going on right now and what shippers should be doing to make their lives a little bit easier is Dale Young. He's the VP of Warehousing and Distribution at World Distribution Services. Dale, thanks so much for joining the Intermodal Summit. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Uh, pleasure to be here. So Dale, this is your introductory appearance here on FreightWaves TV at a virtual summit. So it is customary for you to give a little bit of background on yourself and tell me a little bit about WDS, World Distribution Services. Gotcha. Well, I'm the vice president, as you said, of World uh, Distribution Services. Uh, warehousing distribution specifically is my responsibility for the entire network. Um, World Distribution Services has 10 warehouses in uh, 13 markets across the country. So we're uh, a variety of different segments of the business. So we do a little bit of retail. We do a little bit of beverage. We do uh, a little bit of everything. So kind of a, a wide range of, of touch and look at the, at the industry as a whole. So you said you got 10 warehouses there. Where are they typically positioned? Are you guys inland? Are you port-based? Um, what is your typical... Primarily line? in the port markets. We've had quite a, quite a bit of success around the ports. We've seen most of our growth uh, in around the port markets. So uh, very heavily concentrated on the East Coast, but we do have partners and uh, some contract work we do on the West Coast as well. So let's start with the West Coast, right? We've seen in recent weeks, BNSF, Union Pacific, they have both metered or even all out stopped movement from the West Coast to the East Coast intermodal lines to try to clear up some of that congestion in Chicago. It's kind of had the reverse effect uh, on the on the West Coast. Talk to me about what the situation is like on the West Coast, getting um, getting boxes off of ships, onto trains and into Chicago. Yeah, and you've, you've hit it right. The congestion is... is kind of at an all-time high, uh, and it really just kind of runs across the entire industry. You've got vessels parked uh, waiting on berths. You know, the, the typical wait time right now is around seven to eight days for, for berthing for a vessel. Uh, then you've got this backlog of, of container freight in containers still. Uh, we have customers who have, have been sitting on containers in uh, the L.A. market for 30, 60 days since, since May, even some of them. So, there's just this glut of, of freight that can't really move out of L.A. Uh, you've seen embargoes, as you mentioned, from the rails that aren't moving things into uh, to inland anymore uh, just because they're, they're trying to allow some of that congestion to, to ease off. Uh, we've got customers on the inland side that uh, congestion, some of these rail ramps are so, so bad that you can't find the container. You'll dispatch a driver to go into that rail ramp and you, they literally just cannot locate, physically locate the container. So there's this game of so much freight and so many so many containers you just can't find what you're looking for so all that just kind of builds upon itself and and it creates problems downstream for the shipper it, it is really crazy to me right they have gps location they can have some you know decent understanding of where these boxes are on the train and they're you still can't find them because they are so backed up for miles and miles uh right there at the port just i think about the last week i think what the truck spoke about it last week on these these secret missions that uh shippers are employing to go and get their freight out of, out of chicago o'hare or out of some of the chicago rail yards so it really is uh you know a dire situation has it improved at all um over the past year i know that there was a lot of congestion um, towards the Q3, Q4 of last year. Has that gotten any better? Have they worked through that backlog? 
I mean, so in 2020, we saw a pretty big glut of, of container freight as the supply chain shut down there for a period of time due to the pandemic and then kind of restarted with a surge. Uh, you know, we entered that surge of, of uh, activity just ahead, most of it's just ahead of that traditional retail peak season of, of late summer and into, into early fall. Um, that backlog has largely been worked through, but it took several months. You know, there's been a lot of late seasonal items that were in that volume that that never made it to the stores in time. And, and we now have customers sitting on that seasonal freight to, to use the game coming up in 2021. So most of that glut from 2020 uh, has, has been worked through that seasonal activity, but it, the demand hasn't stopped. Consumers are still ordering at all-time high levels. Uh, there's still delayed POs and at origin that are still waiting to get on a vessel that have been waiting for months. Um, you know, many of our retail customers are seeing their forecast slide six to eight weeks, uh, meaning if they expected to have that, that volume or that PO in, in May, they're not seeing it necessarily for, for, you know, six weeks, eight weeks later. So it's still definitely an impact. Um, and it doesn't seem to, uh, there doesn't seem to be any break in the action yet. Everyone's still ordering. There's still this backlog. Vessel capacity is still very, very tight. Uh, so it's, it's still going to continue. Yeah, this is something we've been speaking about, at least on the truckload side. But of course, everything that gets on a truck, it, it comes from the ocean at some point. We've talked about how even when demand wanes from the consumer side, speaking of retailers and consumer focused freight, even when it does wane, we've got all of these inventories that we still need to build up that, you know, there's going to be this lagging effect on uh, on demand before you ever see it fall off. But let's talk about uh, containers for a moment. This has been one of the hot button topics for the last 18 months of container availability. There's you know, something going on here with the ocean containers uh, and the ocean shippers that they are trying to limit the you know distance that these containers will get inland. They're trying to keep them at the ports and it's leading to a lot more transloading and cross-docking. Talk to me about what's going on at the port and that's leading to more transloading and what are the challenges for you at WDS to make this happen? Yeah, and it kind of goes back to that, that uh, backlog of freight, if you will, from 2020. Uh, you had such an imbalance of container availability, right? It, we had so many loaded containers domestically uh, and staffing became such a large problem for many guys like us, where we were trying to bring in people off season to handle this surge of activity that was really kind of unplanned. Uh, and that led right into uh, the typical peak season where you plan for, you staff for. Then staffing became such a major issue with the pandemic where uh, you just literally couldn't get people to come out of quarantine and come to work to help unload containers. So it became this backlog of freight that sat there, that glut we talked about. It, that has not uh, changed, right? That the because of that imbalance, that imbalance still exists. We finally got it unloaded. Now what we're seeing is uh, steamship lines just want to get that equipment back to Asia. They still want to get it back into service. They don't really want those containers to, to go inland for that just the delay related to the rail right now and, and just the possibility of, of unloading it and go into a CY. Just getting that equipment back in to that uh, Trans-Pacific trade is, is what they're really trying to accomplish. So. We're seeing carriers, steamship lines, uh, by and large, just don't want to, their containers inland, and they're they're increasing their IPI fees, or are just you know kind of stopping uh, that process. A lot of the new charters that we're seeing, a lot of new vessel strings that are being put on, are only going to uh, the, the port markets. They're not even willing to do an IPI uh, for some of these smaller strings. So it's it's definitely becoming an issue. Um, and it's definitely driving a lot of, of transloading and cross-docking volume to the port markets. L.A. has this massive backlog of freight and volume that they are you know, struggling to handle. Uh, we're seeing diverted containers to, you know, to the East Coast. 
as well. And so it's, it's driving volumes up in Savannah and in New York, New Jersey. Uh, it's, it's really kind of a trickle down effect across the entire uh, entire country, really. So demand for us has, has really increased pretty significantly in terms of that cross stock need. Uh, and again, we don't see that changing uh, in, in the current pattern either. Dale, I'm glad you brought up alternative routes. This is a big thing that's gone on for the last 18 months. People have been trying to avoid that just uh, wreckage out in the in San Pedro Bay outside of uh, Port of LA and Long Beach. They're doing their best, right? I mean, we've had they've had big COVID struggles. They've tried to increase throughput, but you know they're moving record volumes. It's just there's more than record volumes coming through. So they have uh, shippers have looked to Houston, they've looked to Savannah, even New Orleans and Jacksonville and other smaller ports to uh, find alternatives. Let's let's play that scenario for a moment. Let's talk. Let's say we are you know a mid-sized shipper, but we usually only bring in things through. LA and you know maybe we have some some backup in New York New Jersey uh, but you know for the for the last six months we've been pushing things through Savannah and through Houston let's say you're moving into you're bringing in um, you're bringing in freight through a port you've never really used or maybe only used once in the past ten years what are the the next steps once your freight is here the goal right now is just to get it here once it's here what are the next steps absolutely uh, and we we literally are dealing with customers every day who say just get my freight domestic right just get it landed. Um, and that does cause, uh, you know, new concerns for, for uh, shippers and importers that have never used that port before, or don't use it very often. So they have to kind of now establish relationships that they didn't have before and have to do it really, really quickly because now they've got, you know, six weeks or whatever that lead time is on, on trying to get that lane established that they've never used before. Um, it, it's, it's beneficial to companies like myself. We're, we're more of a one-stop shop. We do warehousing distribution as, as well as truckload brokerage. So. Um, what we're seeing is some of those relationships that they can call a company like myself and we can kind of help them through that entire process, right? They're, they're usually calling the Port of LA, they're railing it inland to Chicago, uh, but we can also make things happen via truck uh, through, the, through the East Coast as well. And so we're seeing a lot more of that where they have to reach out, establish new relationships really, really quickly, and they have to make that decision. Do you, do you want to try and handle the warehousing side and the drayage side and the inland side, or you just want to call one company to, to make it a quick, uh, quick process and get it into your network. Yeah, this kind of alternative routes. This is something we had kind of seen in sonar data. It, it's 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 an idea and something we knew that shippers were doing, uh, but we've been able to prove kind of through sonar data of how difficult the the the, the actual movement of the freight is. We looked at the port of Savannah uh, several weeks ago, and we saw that the outbound tender reject index out of Savannah, the average in total was say twenty percent. But if you would look at all of the major port mark, all of the major lanes that came out of Savannah, Savannah to Atlanta, Savannah to Raleigh, Savannah to Nashville or Columbus, they were all much less. So it kind of what we kind of lead, lead, led into believing was that there was so many new routes being built out of Savannah because this, this freight was just being diverted from a different port into Savannah, uh, rather than coming from L.A. typically to Chicago and then trucked to uh, Indianapolis. It's coming from Savannah to Indianapolis. And there's a whole new set of challenges that come in here. Let's let's talk about surcharges and demurrage. Uh, everybody is, is upset one way or the other on these right now. Let's let's just talk about who's at fault and who's left holding the bag here on these costs of what happens when uh, when the container, when the when the ship, uh, the truck can't get in to see the ship, the ship can't get in to see the port, there's congestion on both sides. Who's at fault? Yeah, uh, and no one's going to take credit for the fault, right, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and the reality is you've kind of described it pretty well. Um, all-time volume highs, you've got uh, drainage capacity at an all-time high. There's simply more freight than there are drainage providers. Um, so you have that delay of, of getting in, then you also have just a delay of the congestion of the terminal itself, right? So 
if the queue to get in that terminal is, is usually 45 minutes to two hours, uh, it's, it, it could be six hours now. And so who's, who's to blame really that we, we've been attempting to pick this container up now for two days and we just have not been able to get in and get it back out. So unfortunately, you've got all of it kind of contributing. You've got the port congestion contributing. You've got truck capacity contributing. The one that's unfortunately left typically holding the bag is the shipper, the importer. That's unfortunate. That's kind of typically the way it goes. But, but even companies like myself, we can't really be held responsible for not being able to get your container out if we've sent a driver in two days in a row. And, you know, what we see a lot on the West Coast is maybe the containers, even in a section of the port that's closed off, they won't even let us in to get it, right? And who do you who do you talk to? Obviously, you'd have to go to the steamship line who tries to talk to the terminal operator to try and understand when can we get in there? Can we get some forgiveness on these demerge charges and or eventual per diem charges? Uh, so it's it's a it's a sticky uh, sticky wicket for most shippers, um, and and unfortunately they're the ones that typically have to kind of take it upon themselves to to work with their relationships they've had, right? Work with that steamship line that they've been hopefully doing business with for a while uh, to see what kind of help they can get from from the terminal and from the steamship line. So on the lines of taking it on yourself, there's been multiple kind of the major retailers, Walmart and Home Depot have been the ones that have come out and said it during their Q2 calls over the last two weeks that they have come out and they've chartered ships to ensure that they can bring, uh, they can ensure capacity and make sure they can bring inventory into the country. Talk to me about the limitations of this, because it, you know, obviously not every retailer can go out and charter their ship because they don't have the size, they don't have the scale, they don't have uh, the, the necessary freight demand to do it. But there's also just the, on the warehouse side, the actual warehouse capacity, the warehouse throughput uh, ability that limits, um, you know, the limits the creativity you can have with bringing in, uh, bringing in uh, freight in different modes. So talk to me about just chartering ships and the challenges and limitations there. Yeah, and so we've seen quite a bit of that. And actually, our our company, one of our sister companies, is actually doing that work now. We're actually chartering vessels uh, and enabling some of our smaller customers to to kind of ride those vessels as well uh, to kind of help balance the playing field. But to your point, especially on those some of those smaller customers, uh, we have to go in and that chartered vessel with kind of a chunk, right? You have to be able to take you know 200 containers off that that chartered vessel where they're really not probably going to be interested in selling you space. So. You have to be able to kind of go in with a significant amount of, of demand, and not every small importer can do that. If you typically are only bringing in 20 containers a month, it's going to be very difficult for you to try and figure out. Even with a backlog, it may be difficult for you to try and, and fill up 200 spots. If you can, your provider is probably still more accustomed to that 20 container a month volume, and 200 at one time is going to be a struggle for them to accommodate. So then you get into situations where now you're running into demerge and you're running into per diem again because you've kind of outpaced what your provider has been able to, or has typically been staffed to handle for you. So there's, there's a lot of complexities there as well. So we're definitely um, kind of encouraging very, very good communication with your providers. Hey, we're looking at chartering a vessel. This is what it's going to mean. Um, and, and so you can pre-plan and that, that provider can pre-plan with you to uh, try to have the staff in place and, and the drainage capacity and everything else that's needed to really operate efficiently and handle that for you. But it's definitely a unique issue, a unique issue that we've seen um, uh, really growing. It's, it's becoming more and more common as, as a lot of NBOs are getting into that uh, that side of the business as well, uh, in addition to the big players like the Walmarts and the, and the Home Depots. Yeah, desperate situations call for big, big moves. Uh, so let's let's bring this you know to an end here, Dale. Let's talk about some of the questions that I've been asking everybody uh, over the last six months is, what are some of the things you've learned over the past 18 months in a, in a COVID world that you're going to take forward into a post-COVID world? Some, what are some of the things that you think that 
your customers are going to be requiring, some of the things that's going to be needed of you uh, going into a post-COVID world? I mean, I think a lot of it is going to be kind of centered around that part of it for us operationally is going to be centered around that increased demand and cross-docking and translating that we've talked about. Uh, we're going to continue to see that that stronger demand on the core markets uh, to do that. I think you'll see uh, most shippers will also start looking at diversifying kind of their entire supply chain and, and becoming trying to become more flexible. If they typically use two ports of entry, I think they'll probably expand that to three or four ports of entry just so they have options uh, in the face of congestion. You know, they have these relationships that we just talked about that they're having to establish on the fly right now. They might as well try to keep them in place, right, and make it a more permanent part of their supply chain so it's a little bit more reliable. Uh, and they have some levers to pull in terms of moving their volume around the country as needed based on uh, you know, based on congestion and, and you know, weather can, ha can happen, obviously, as well. So it just makes them more flexible. Um, we're seeing customers bring in or attempt to bring in at least more more inventory than they typically would have had. Right. We talked a little bit about the the old school just in time model uh, has 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 gone away. And to some some extent, it's now become, as we said, the, the just in case model. You know, have to have safety, safety stock on hand because of delays they've seen this year in shipping, because of the delays they saw last year in shipping. Uh, you know, retailers, uh, even manufacturers are, are missing sales because they don't have either the raw material to produce the goods or they don't have the, the, the merchandise in the store to sell. So we're seeing uh, inventory levels increase and we're seeing more inventory. We're seeing uh, retailers kind of spread out and position their inventory in multiple locations across the country, closer to the population centers. Some of that's in support of econ, but some of it's just kind of a, a natural progression of, of the the flexibility they need to now have because of the, the circumstances that are with congestion. So Dale, consumers have obviously been spending more online over the last 18 months. And we know that in an e-commerce environment, you need more warehousing space. Just in general, there's been a, a, a huge growth demand for warehousing space. What are you guys doing to uh, deal with the increased demand for warehousing space, increased demand for just logistic service in general from port to inland? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer to that is we're adding new buildings. Um, we were a little ahead of the game um, in that we had already kind of pre-planned to go into uh, the New York, New Jersey market with a 480,000 square foot building, uh, which pretty uh, nearly tripled our capacity in that market. So uh, over the last 18 months, we've added about a million square feet to our footprint just based on demand. A lot of that being port related to you know, port market related growth. Um, a lot of these transloading and, and cross docking opportunities we've been talking about. Uh, so uh, we've, we've added space in the last, like I said, 15 months. We've added uh, space in Savannah, 280,000 square feet in Savannah. We've added 320,000 in uh, Virginia Beach Market, Norfolk Market, and 480,000 is the newest in uh, Linden, New Jersey, that we are we literally just opened about three weeks ago. So uh, we're simply adding space. We've been uh, fortunate enough to be a little ahead of the game in that regard because now uh, there's, there's this pretty massive backlog in steel and a pretty massive backlog in terms of delivering new warehouse space. So um, that's that's the easy trigger to pull if you've already done it is, is just add capacity by adding facilities. Uh, and that's really what we've been focused on and growing with uh, our customers. You know, we have a lot of customers that have asked us to grow into multiple markets. And that's kind of what we've done. That's how we've uh, been able to justify the jump into a new building or a new market. Yeah, you make a good point that 
there are there is a supply chain for building warehouses, right? And that supply chain is as uh, beleaguered and as congested as any other supply chain that we're dealing in uh, right now. So let's talk about a post-COVID world. This is a question that I've asked everybody in these types of conversations is, what are the things that you've learned over the past 16, 18 months that you're going to take into a post-COVID world? What are the things that your shippers or your customers are, are requiring of you? What are the things you need to put forth post-COVID? Yeah. I mean, it starts with that increased demand on the, the cross-docking and translating on the port markets. That's certainly the, one of the primary things we've seen uh, and, and it's helped us you know, drive quite a bit of our growth. Uh, I think the other thing we're seeing is, you know, shippers have got to be more flexible. Uh, you know, they're, they're looking at adding in new ports of entry. If they were formerly using two ports of entry, they need to look at adding three or four ports of entry to, to build in that flexibility. Those relationships that they're having to establish on the fly right now, they might as well kind of make those a more permanent fixture part of their supply chain so that they have levers to pull in terms of moving the freight around the country on uh, dependent on congestion and, and weather related events. They have more flexibility on their uh, supply chains. The other thing we're seeing is, is shippers are really just increasing or attempting to increase at least the, the amount of inventory they have. Uh, domestically. Um, and they're also increasing the number of places they're storing that inventory domestically. Uh, we ourselves have several customers that have asked us to grow into multiple markets. And that's how they're positioning their freight closer uh, and, and diversifying their own inventories is growing into new markets that they weren't necessarily in before. Um, so that's, that's kind of one of the key things we're seeing is in terms of just building that flexibility in their supply chain and um, looking at, at more markets than they had before. Um, the inventory side of it and growing the amount of inventory they have, that, that just-in-time model is, is fading in some cases and going to that just-in-case as they, as they push more inventory to population centers. You know, some of that's being driven by the e-com need, but some of it's also just related to, to the congestion they've seen and the need to have some safety stock domestically that they can move around the country as needed so they're not missing opportunities for, for a sale in the store. Dale, I greatly appreciate you giving some uh, real-world examples. We hear it from everybody in the in the industry that yeah, we want to be more flexible, we want to be more agile. But what does that actually mean? You know, what it means is we need more ports of call, which means we need more relationships with people around uh, and in those ports, and we also need more warehouse space. And we also need more inventory to hold. So, some very good examples there, Dale. Thanks so much for your time and insights today. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much. All right, everyone, that's been Dale Young, the VP of Warehousing and Distribution at World Distribution Services. All right, we've got so much more left here for you at the Intermodal Summit. Don't go anywhere. We've got a full day of conference news and insights coming for you. Stay tuned.